0: Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work-from-anywhere mobile and cloud-based world? I'm Phil Armstrong,
1: and I'm delighted to be your host, of the CIO Evolution podcast. Today, we'll discuss the rapidly evolving cybersecurity landscape from the perspective of solution longevity and outsourcing. I'm delighted to be joined by Kevin Dawson, the president and CEO of ISA Cybersecurity, and Sean Cordero, host of the CISOs Gambit and CISO Americas at Zscaler. Let's start with a quick round of introductions, if we can. Kevin, may I ask you to start? Sure. Thanks,
2: Phil. Uh, my name is Kevin Dawson. Uh, as, as Phil mentioned, CEO and uh, president of ISA Cybersecurity. I've been in the technology space for the better part of uh, almost 30 years now, since the early, early 90s. Started my career at Hewlett-Packard and, uh, and joined ISA, where I am today, in the uh, mid to late 90s and kind of lived in the world of cybersecurity since 1997. Took over and, and started running the company about eight years ago now. And so I'm an avid outdoorsman, but a little bit of a geek at heart as it relates to uh, to cybersecurity.
3: Perfect. Sean? Thank you for having me today. And thank you for mentioning the CISO's Gambit. Appreciate that. So yeah, it's Sean Cordero. I've kicking about 23, almost 24 years now in IT and information security former CISO of a handful of publicly traded companies across financials and also retail, some time in healthcare and biotechnology. A lot of the work that I've done over the few years have been focused on developing international standards for cybersecurity, most notably the cloud controls matrix by the Cloud Security Alliance. And here at Zscaler, I serve as a advisor to our largest customers, where I provide subject matter expertise on the subject of zero trust, security program development, and also assisting them with achieving maximum value out of their c scalar solutions.
1: Thank you, Sean. Welcome, gentlemen. Let's dive right in. So I remember the challenges that I faced as a global CIO trying to patch together a set of solutions to comprehensively address my organization's varied needs to defend against this constantly evolving cybersecurity landscape and and the threats. Just as I thought I was making some really good progress, a specific tool or capability would be compromised, maybe rendered ineffective or, or bought by a competing vendor introducing incompatibilities, or perhaps it even became economically unattractive and introduced instability. I was constantly assessing options and gauging compatibility. So let me start by asking you, Kevin, from the work that you do with your clients in this industry, what components of cyber coverage have you seen that are starting to look a little tired and perhaps vulnerable Due to the changing business models and obsolescence, or maybe even new emerging superior solutions.
2: Well, great question, Phil. And I, I think it it goes a step earlier than that in terms of, uh, and, and I'll address the question of, of technologies and specific things that are that might be lagging or or might be uh, um, what you call technical debt in organizations. Um, But I think it steps back to to kind of how the decisions are made in the first place uh, for various different solutions and how they continue to be made by organizations and and, and looking at it uh, or not looking at it from a from more of a risk lens. I I don't think there's anywhere else in the industry where what we do is more akin to kind of the cat and the mouse and kind of the back and forth trying to one trying to foil the other. And so we see it every day. And what happens is. Uh, the latest exploit or the latest threat, it's uh, a, a lot of publicity, a lot of noise. Various different vendors tie themselves around a capability um, that, that helps prevent that threat or vulnerability. And then uh, people go running to the, to the store to pull it off the shelves and buy that technology and implement the aspect of looking at why they're actually buying and looking at uh, what the actual risk profile of the organization is as it relates to that, that's a missing gap. And then really the governance after they implement the tools. I will say that, that to answer your original question in the technology space, um, I think there's a lot of companies with, uh, I'll say, some, some lagging uh, endpoint uh, platform uh, technologies. Um, there's been a lot of advances over the past two to four years in that area. And, uh, and a lot of companies are still living off of, uh, of, of older uh, protection mechanisms and older uh, technologies in that space which candidly your your uh, we we talk about vulnerabilities we talk about vulnerability scanning as a tool to scan an environment but ultimately one of your largest vulnerabilities are your people and they live and breathe on on endpoints and on devices so that's an area where i've i've seen significant technical debt and then significant ageism in terms of uh, technologies from a cyber perspective in organizations
1: and Sean what are you seeing A lot of the things
3: that were just discussed, I I agree with. Interestingly, though, there is another area that is directly related to a lot of the concerns of the CIO and also of the CISO or the CSO, and that's actually cyber insurance. So cyber insurance is one of these things that, to me, was always a joke. I remember working both with clients, myself as a CISO, getting the questionnaire, And it'd be like three or four pages. You had to handwrite it, scan it, and then send it back. This wasn't that long ago, by the way, because a lot of these large insurers, they have these sub teams that have gotten into the cyber business and haven't yet built the capability to do both the actuarial component and the actual operational piece. So when I think about legacy, outdated things, Absolutely. The technology, uh, we've seen it time and time again, uh, both from a process, whether that's a waterfall-based development that a lot of organizations still do, whether that is uh, the standard change control process that a lot of infrastructure teams still live and die by. Those things uh, are in need of an overhaul and uh, fundamental change, and arguably that's already happened from a development standpoint. But then you put it in the context of, the insurance space and you start realizing that wait a minute we know as practitioners as leaders that we're not a hundred percent in our technology yet we're still getting insured and it starts creating this whole head scratching kind of phenomenon now interestingly i've seen a lot of these insurers start changing the way that they're going about it and in fact i i highly suspect that a lot of the large insurance companies will probably opt out but instead what we're seeing is these bespoke very purpose-built cyber focused risk focused new organizations that are focused on actually doing things like kevin had mentioned which is ensuring that you're not just getting a questionnaire and a self-attestation which we all know how useful that is but Doing a high level, or in some cases, a very detailed assessment with qualified personnel that can then allow them to go back to their underwriting, go to their actuarials, and be able to provide meaningful data. Because at the moment, uh, the way that the cyber industry from an insurance standpoint works, uh, good luck trying to get a claim in. Sean, I couldn't
2: uh, agree with you more. It's, uh, it's an area, we offer a digital forensics incident response practice, and it's an area that we see, we work with insurance companies, and I think you're exactly right. In fact, the pendulum is swinging the opposite way. I mean, you look at, we had a, we had a customer scenario three years ago, not just under three years ago today, uh, where we're in there and we're doing forensics, and, uh, and the team uh, identifies that we need to deploy a tool. And uh, the insurance, the carrier says, well, well, wait a minute. They checked off on the checklist. They have that tool. And then obviously the, the, the client, the victim gets in the line, and, and there's now a three way conversation. And the breach coach and the carrier are saying, Well, wait a minute. The, the, the investigators are saying they need to deploy a tool, but you said you had that. And the client said, Well, y- yeah, when we, when we did the renewal, uh, we had bought it. We just hadn't implemented it yet. And we're still working on that. And that's, And that's the thing. And so, you're exactly right. Those checklists, and, and it's not, it, and you, you joked about not that long ago. This was three years ago. Customer did a checklist and it was just yes, 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 yes. And no test against, yes, we have the people in place to make these tools work. Yes, we have the processes and the governance and all the things that are important. It's just a capabilities matrix. And, and do you have this thing? And and we're seeing it like you are. And I think, as I said, the pendulum swinging the other way because, uh, the carriers, unfortunately, are absolutely bleeding with, with claims loss ratios four and 500% over the past couple of years. So in, at least in, in Canada, we're seeing a lot of uh, carriers either get out of the space or decline coverage or decline renewals just because of the uh, uh, the increased risk that comes with that. So it is a big area that that people have traditionally, and like you said, jokingly looked at as a risk mitigation strategy to have cyber insurance and, and just go buy my cyber insurance well, the prices are going up, the coverage is going down, or some are getting out of it altogether. And and organizations are going to have to look internally first before externally as as their risk mitigation. So I couldn't agree more with you.
1: And fascinating. We're having this uh, cyber insurance discussion right on the back of the Merck uh, decision where their claims were denied by their insurer. They took them to court and have recently just won that decision. Uh, Their insurer citing an act of war. um, And uh, of course, ransomware is not really an act of war. But it it is interesting how insurance companies are now going to tighten up the front end, the qualification process, the questions that they ask, how deeper they're going to dig. And as you say, not just look for evidence that you've got a particular function covered, but that it's installed, that it's uh, sustainable, that it's effective, etc. before you even get in the door to talk about cyber insurance. And then the wording on the contracts themselves are going to learn from these um, failed denials. And they're going to tighten up uh, that exclusionary wording where it's um, almost getting to the point where, is it worth having cyber insurance? If, if I'm going to be precluded and excluded from a lot of these events. So watch this space definitely a lot of them are excluding a interesting
2: a lot of them are excluding ransomware already and yeah and it's a major definitely. threat so uh, you're buying auto insurance without collision sort of thing oh, so Kevin is it
1: worth spending extra money because the price is going up to get cyber insurance or is it better just not having cyber insurance and spending that money on better functional uh, cyber protection now in some industries regulators are forcing you to get cyber insurance but if it's quite ineffective,
2: yeah, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a situation of uh, you shouldn't bother getting it. That's never the the case. I think it's uh, applicable. It is a risk mitigation uh, that are, a lot of organizations look at. I think it falls back to, uh, I guess, again, as, as Sean was saying, some of the fundamentals that uh, that companies are are not doing, that, that the insurance companies or the insurance carriers look for, and these are dependent on your size as an organization. Presumably, in the actuaries, say that your risk matrix goes up the larger your size. But some of the fundamental, I'm going to say, coverage uh, or some fundamental platforms, technologies, pieces, cap- capabilities organizations should have. Um, are not always in place. And then the the piece of evaluating somebody's risk. I know as 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 Sean said, there's some some new niche players that are coming up that that haven't quite felt the pain of the of the long-term players that have been in the space for, in some cases, hundred years, and in some cases in the cyberspace for 15, 20 years, who are just trying to get back to zero if they can. And uh, and some of these new players are are you trying to use kind of automation tools to do a similar thing, and, and and we've seen them with clients, and and they very mostly have an external perspective, uh, looking from the outside in, um, which is good, um, but it's just one lens of of kind of the threat landscape. Um, it's it's somebody looking at your house and saying it looks like all your windows and doors are locked from the outside, but uh, when you get inside, what does that look like, and and what is your, what are the cadence, what are the things you do? Do you set the alarm when you walk inside, that sort of thing? So. I think there's some some work to be done in maturity, and, and we're starting to see it big time in the uh, in the notion of third party risk assessments. A couple of years ago, you, you might have one or two come across your desk and they were more they were more aimed at whether you could do the job that you were being hired to do, not could you do the job securely that you're being hired to do if, if you're a supplier to an organization? So can you make the widgets in a timely fashion? Uh, now we're seeing those third party risk um, happening all the time. And there is a strong cyber component to them to not only can you do the service that you, you say you can do or the, or build the widget or build the product that you say you can do as part of my supply chain, but how are you doing it in a secure fashion and, and those controls? And so in a third-party risk area, they're actually, I would say, a little bit ahead of the, of the insurance carriers in terms of going a step further in, in, in evaluating uh, companies. And, and the third-party risk, I guess, assessments work that they do oftentimes comes with a, a body, an auditor, coming in saying, okay, well, show me these controls. And, and, and if this is a control you do around evaluating people and, and doing uh, background checks on people, how many people have you joined in the last year? Well, these four. Okay, great. I want to pick these two and show me you did these control. Things like, like SOC2 audit, ISO um, uh, certification, uh, do a lot of these things. And you're seeing that span over into these third-party risk assessments, as well as span over to the carrier space as well, yeah. uh, where you have that independent party or independent third person, not a, a self-attestation, as, as Sean put it. Um, you have that third party saying, "Hey, yeah, I've looked at these uh, this this organization, and they check these boxes." And by the way, they have these ones that are still open, so you you understand truly, I guess, the overall risk lens of that organization.
1: And yeah. Sean, maybe Personally. a question for you: um, If sure. you talk to a lot of CISOs, if I if I'm a CIO and I'm sat down with my CISO, what are CISOs communicating to the CIOs these days around functions? that maybe we need to pay a little bit more attention to, or maybe we need to look at different types of technologies and architectures out there. What what are looking a little pale and, and old uh, in in the marketplace these days? Is, is there any specific areas that uh, CIOs need to be sort of really paying attention to?
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's uh, technology that's been out there, technology that I personally deployed, 20 some years ago that is still the de facto method of deploying networks and security. And you start looking at it from a business standpoint, you start realizing, wait a minute, why am I still investing in the way we did it before? And all of a sudden, you're back to business class 101, and it's the sunk cost fallacy. And everybody's going, it's just the way it is. And uh, then you can't hire the right people. And ultimately, you end up not hiring, let's say, cybersecurity experts. You start hiring very verticalized niche tool experts. Mm -hmm. And that, unfortunately, is a uh, losing proposition. And if you look at the results of... IT and security as a whole, uh, it's kind of failed. And, uh, you know, that's definitely on the shoulders of CIOs and CISOs combined. Uh, One could make an argument that more so on the CTO's CIO side, because they've been in the seat for much longer, and they've uh, traditionally controlled budget much longer. All of that being said, though, I think there is a lack of candor across the executive side between uh, what's real and what isn't. What are we concerned about? What are we not concerned about? And kind of tying it back to what we were talking about from a cyber insurance standpoint, it's the exact same exercise. And what's really interesting to me is that earlier, Kevin had mentioned that there's this enormous focus on third-party risk management, right? So what I foresee happening is specifically in the context of uh, outsourcers, in the context of uh, cloud services, you almost end up in that model that everybody used to point to in the late 90s, early 2000s, saying we're going to have a governance model over all of our outsourcers. And don't worry, yes, your job is disappearing, but... You're now going to be in a leadership role, over a hundred contractors. This scares a lot of IT people and a lot of security people as it should, because we know that model didn't really work out so well. But when you think about it, does that mean that the role of IT and the role of security moving forward is just going to be one of administrative oversight and a little bit of sprinkling of governance? Hmm. Is there another industry that is currently struggling with that model that actually gets paid to do that and makes money when it works, but loses money when it does it? Oh yeah. Cyber insurance. <laughs> that's the model. And we know how well that's going. So to me, the whole thing is interconnected and it's, it's a, a little laughable and very scary because it requires some very deep introspection, uh, as industry leaders and professionals to say, hey, listen, it's not just about the technology, the way that we're going about it overall, the way we're hiring, the fact that we're looking for, I'll give you an example, people with seven years of a particular cloud technology that's been out for three. (laughs) How does that happen? This is very common. Um, So that tells me that there's a lot of leaders, and I'm talking leaders at large organizations uh, with huge amounts of responsibility, that perhaps it's gotten away from them and maybe they've lost the plot. And I've also seen it at small organizations as well. But the point is that we have an opportunity as an industry to really take a deep step back and partner on finding other ways about doing things. Because what we know for a fact, it just hasn't been working. The most Mm -hmm. disruptive technology has come out of uh, primarily cloud, based computing over the last decade. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I think it's a time for introspection and a time of action because without action, we'll just end up doing the same episode in a decade and lamenting how nothing ever occurred.
1: I think in the past though, CIOs were fairly reticent around outsourcing components of their cybersecurity uh, services. Perhaps they were comfortable with maybe lower value commodity type services. But I, I see that changing quite a bit, especially as they struggle to um, keep up with the marketplace and, and have access to this really hard to find talent. Kevin, you must be seeing uh, some different patterns emerging in terms of outsourcing and the opinion towards outsourcing certain services within your cyber portfolio.
2: Yeah. And, and to, to play on what Sean said, it's, uh, um, the, the technology piece. A lot of organizations look for, I need this skill set on this specific technology, whether it be a cloud thing that's only existed for three years and they want seven years or whatever the technology is. And so when, when, when organizations engage us in our, in our MSSP practice and either a managed or, or hosted capacity, um, it's usually for that specific piece. They want that technology expertise, um, they, want, they want an outcome. They want us to come in and, and provide an outcome. The technology becomes almost uh, not irrelevant, but secondhand, because there's multiple uh, technologies in each area. And I'm going to say there, there's no shortage of technology. I, I, you, I lean to kind of the automotive sector right now, where there's lots of people that can drive that want to drive, but there's a chip shortage. So there's no cars being available. You go to our space, there's lots of technology. I can go download the latest technology. It's, it's available on, on most websites. There's I can get it the same day, even if it's an appliance space. Those appliances are coming out fairly quick. Uh, there's no technology shortage, but we don't have drivers. We don't have people in the car. And, and and so that's the piece that's missing a lot in our customers. And that's where they look to, to us. And even if you find that person, like, like Sean said, they're moving around a lot because of the, the, the natural laws of supply and demand. And so when you have a, a larger organization that only focuses on, on cyber, that has a depth of people, they can survive losing one to 10%, 15%, 20%. Whereas organizations that, that add this, that have cyber as a, as a piece of their business, uh, when they lose one, two, three people, it's hard to survive that because that could be an entire team in a, in a discipline, in an area. So we're seeing, we're seeing that, that's the focus uh, um, Phil is, is, those technology pieces and, and and either buying the skill to manage it because they've acquired the technology and they just can't keep the skill in house and they want somebody else that's gonna take that on and always have a person. So whether it's person A, B or C today, um, they'll always have that person that can take on that skill where they don't have to worry about losing it or uh, to the extreme of just buying the outcome. I need this capability to prevent this vulnerability or this threat in my organization and you provide the capability, you provide the outcome for me. And I don't, I don't, I'm not concerned what technology piece is. I'm not concerned. You've got the, uh, the processes figured out. You've got the governance figured out. You've got the people figured out. And you've, you, you've presumably got the technology pieces out. Just give me an outcome.
1: The change from solution outsourcing to functional outsourcing, yeah, yep. huge shift, shift in mindset. Perhaps we could wrap up with a final thought from each of you. Sean, final thoughts on how does a CIO stretch that dollar and and get value out of products and services that they put into their portfolio with with this increasingly fluid and changing marketplace that's going on right now.
3: I think part of it is having to do with budget cycles and uh, budget planning in advance. So I remember having to run large budgets and trying to throw as much capex as I could into my budget, because that's the only way I could get anything done. And then I'd pay the costs and depreciation the next year, and then complain that I didn't have enough to hire staff. So I think this is part a combination of some of the things that are happening industry wide from a financial standpoint, and also planning ahead, which is if I have a tranche of technology solutions that are either purpose-built or perhaps they're singly utilized for one or two functions, for example, firewalls or uh, network proxies, these types of technologies that tend to have a, a low lift to remove, but a heavy lift to configure, and then you're looking at heavy renewals. I would suggest that pause any renewal activity and task your, whether it's your security teams or your security partners on the other side of the aisle, to investigate other approaches that are more aligned to the way that your business partners in your line of business are looking to execute. Because right now, that continuation of the way that we've done things is both an impediment to our organizations and their ability to execute on their missions, uh, meet their obligations, but on top of which, it's also creating drag in terms of the ability to hire. Who wants to go work on a firewall that came out 20 years ago and be an expert in that technology when everything now is in the cloud, and it's irrelevant. So I think it's part planning for what you need immediately, but taking a hard look of what's ahead. And often that's reflected in your budget.
1: Yeah, I love that future forward thinking and and visionary piece. Uh, Listening to podcasts like this, and getting marketing intelligence and baking that into your decisions and your planning is all necessary parts of a CIO's function in order to to really sort of stretch that extra value out of their investments. Kevin, final thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour for a second here because one of the uh, the pedestals that I get up on and behind uh, on a regular basis is around uh, the people. And it's not just the, uh, the cyber talent or the lack thereof or, or the, the skills shortage in the industry. But more holistically, the people in organizations and, and making them more aware of what these threats are and, and, and awareness type training and awareness testing and uh, having testing organizations. Because I think, uh, although becoming a big uh, area in the uh, in the cyber domain, it's long been forgotten. Um, back in the, in the 90s, when I was at HP, uh, the joke was the first budget to get cut was HP training budget uh, and, and, and or training for anyone. And I think it's a, it's a serious mistake to, to cut training, especially as it relates to cyber, because your people can, in fact, will be your first line of defense uh, before, before technology oftentimes. So uh, I think people are a big piece of, of this puzzle. And, and you can't just look to either a technology or even a, a, a insurance policy to be your risk mitigation strategy anymore. Those are, those are right. a couple of areas that I'm, I'm very passionate about.
1: It's all about the people. Yeah, fantastic place to close this conversation. Thank you, gentlemen. We could discuss how rapidly our industry shifts and the actions that you need to take to stay current all day, I'm sure. Uh, It's a fascinating topic, but unfortunately we are out of time. So I'd like to thank my guests for joining us today on the CIO Evolution podcast. Kevin, Sean, thank you for your insights. Really appreciate that and for being part of our discussion today.
0: Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com copyright 2021